but I do see an exit for us, probably the team. I mean, we've been doing this a long time and I think the honeymooners is over. It's been over for a long time. Um, but I think that our goal is to, uh, you know, we already had three organizations approach us this year for an acquisition because mm-hmm. um, they're looking to, to, you know, get, move into this space and we're an, we're an established player yeah. and we've turned those down, but we're not going to be turning them down in two or three years. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the B2B SaaS podcast. I'm your host, Upendra Verma. And today we have Ruben Navarrete with us. Ruben here runs a company called Empower Points. Hey, Ruben, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be here. Absolutely, Ruben. So let's let's get started and let's try to understand what your company does and you know why do customers pay you money? Sure. Well, Empower Points is all about employee engagement. And one of the things that we do, really our core yeah. you know, competency is that we help employees create a system where they can recognize, reward, um, and, you know, take surveys with their employees just to keep them engaged. All right. Uh, makes sense. And who are you primarily selling this to? Uh, That's a great question. You know, in PowerPoint, it's so broad because it really applies to anybody who has employees. That said, we find ourselves mostly in insurance, logistics, and in the service industry. Got it. Got it. And uh, so uh, just help me sort of uh, complete the conversation on the product, right? So I want you to pick any of your, you know, uh, most ideal customer and just sort of walk us through, you know, how they sort of use your product and how they derive value from your product. Sure. Yeah. You know, our most, uh, you know, ideal customer is somebody, you know, a business or an organization or a leadership, um, you know, for that matter, who really value their employees and wants to help make their experience better. And so it's all about elevating, you know, a, a good culture within the organization. And so our ideal customers really have an eye toward that and not just, not just in a lip service way, but in a way where they really genuinely want to improve, um, you know, their, you know, their environment, their culture. And so they will um, reach out to us and we will help them on, on many different levels, uh, with their culture. All right. Uh, so. Let's talk about the pricing model and your business model here, right? Is it just the software that you're selling, right? Which includes a bunch of features or do you do anything apart from that? We do do other things apart from that, but everything is included in the price. So when you are uh, in a PowerPoint customer, you'll pay a fee based on the feature set that you employ. So, you know, you have your basic, you know, recognition piece. And then if you want to add surveys and customer surveys and a wellness, you know, feature, of course, that costs a little bit more. However, we do do a lot of consulting with our customers and we do a lot of advisory type of activities. We spend a lot of time with them going over their analytics and taking a look at their culture. And none of that is extra. All of that is included in their monthly price. Okay. Okay. Uh, got it. So let's uh, let's talk about, you know, let's try to understand a bit about your customers and, you know, uh, customer base a bit, right? So how many customers do you have on your platform as of today? Approximate numbers totally work, by the way. Oh, wow. It would be, you know, we have some, you know, we probably have about 12 really good core customers and all of those are, you know, high employees. So we have thousands and thousands of users um, and that really resides within, you know, a small pool of customers that we really focus on. You know, we include, some of our customers include Starbucks and Chick-fil-A stores, uh, you know, on that service industry end. And then we have everything from select health to large logistic firms to employ then thousands of people, you know, all over. Yeah. So let's, let's, I I got the sense. So let's quantify like how many users do you have on your platform? I mean, total employees. 
approximately? We probably have about, and I, you know, last I've looked, probably about 68,000. 68,000. Mm-hmm. That's around 5,000 approximately on an average right. per customer. Right? Exactly. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty uh, awesome. Right. So, and in terms of revenue, I mean, you can choose not to disclose it if you're not comfortable with it. And just want to get a sense of where you are as a company as of today. Yeah. You know, as a company, um, we are, you know, growing, of course, we do about um, just shy of 3 million a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, um, I don't know what that breaks down to be about a month. And then per user, you know, we have our, um, you know, we have our, our card price and then we have different prices that we've negotiated with our various customers, depending upon mm-hmm. what types of, um, you know, what type of, you know, staff yeah. that they need or what type of, of services they need. Yeah. And okay. So I just, I just want to understand your growth as well. Right. So 12 months before, right. So where were you in terms of your revenue approximately? Um, we were probably maybe, you know, we didn't grow a whole lot this year. That's a really good question. We thought we were going to grow a lot out of COVID, but that didn't really materialize. And primarily just because the sales cycle in fast is so long, as yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, you know, coming out of COVID, we felt like there was going to be a real, um, a real thirst and a hunger for employee engagement. And there is, but it just takes a long time for that to really hit your bottom line. And so I wouldn't say that we've grown, we've grown maybe 10%. Got it. All right. So there are a lot of things here to understand, right? So let's, let's sort of deep dive into your go to market, you know, strategy and your journey so far, right? I just want to start at the top of funnel, right? So you've got around 12 customers. So you absolutely know where they come, where they came from, you know, what was that first touch point? So just walk us through, you know, that first, first couple of customers, right? So how did they sort of ended up, you know, becoming your customers? How did you know them, right? What was the process like? So the, during those first right. zero to one journey. Okay. That's a great question. Well, our first customer came, um, as a result of the fact that we weren't even in PowerPoint, you know, we had a small software development firm and we were developing software for, for the banking industry. And, um, one of our large customers, which is at that time, MetLife came to us and said, we have a problem with, um, employee engagement in our, in our loan division, our home loan division. Um, and we were wondering if you could help us develop a small tool that we could pilot within one of our branches and help us, you know, kind of understand why the employee environment was so toxic. And so we just started with that. And then when we built that tool, we, we retained ownership of it, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really successful and it really grew rapidly within that organization. And then we really focused on making that product work well in that organization. And then we slowly started branching out to similar organizations like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's with any place, you know, employees, they'll work a place somewhere and then they'll go to another place and then they'll recommend us. So most of our stuff has come word of mouth. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of our large customers, uh, they just had an acquisition that's just taking place right now. And we'll be bringing on 17 new companies, almost doubling our, you know, you know, because of that word of mouth. Yeah. And, and so, you know, primarily that's where we found most of it. We've met people, you know, at conferences, at workshops, and it's that personal relationship and connection that's helped us close deals. And so anything, any advice that I could give to people who are in the staff field, you really have to get out there. And um, I mean, it's great to depend on maybe it's Google ads or some other approach that you're going to take to, you know, bring people into the top end of your funnel. But we have found that the most effective way is to build relationships with the people, the customers that you see out there, mm-hmm. the type of customers that you feel are important to you. And and that is, I mean, I'd say those relationships are the most important customers. Like 
I have a neighbor who um, lived just, you know, across the way and him and I talk all the time. He's a CEO of a, of a large credit union in our state. And, you know, they're coming on board as a customer, but it's about that relationship. So if you can be going to, if you can go to different mixer, uh, CEO events, um, events where your ideal customers are, attend those events and talk to people. Right. So, so you mentioned something, right? That, you know, MetLife came to you to so- sort of solve their problem. Right? Who exactly was, was that you, right? So were you a firm? Like right. what were you doing back then? Yeah, I had a little, you know, it was just me at that time. And I had a little software development firm that I had. And this was a while back. This was back, back, back in like 2009. Okay. So it's been some time now. So, so it's been 13 years approximately since, since you got that right. first deal. Okay, sorry. Sure. Yeah. But you know what? We had an exclusive deal with them for quite some, for a number of years because they were our first customer and because um, we had developed the product for them. Um, and I just had a small little uh, software development firm and I had, you know, developers working for me uh, that I was outsourcing to. And I was developing small little communications tools in a banking area. Hmm. Didn't even see this coming. So, so you were so essentially had, building software and selling it to, you know, these banks, right? So essentially sort well, of outsourcing yeah, their development needs, something like that. Sort of. Yeah. They were, at, you know, they were our customer. They were kind of our only customer and we were only developing software for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we were just, we, they were just using us as their shop to develop. Yeah. It only it, made it really, sense naturally, right? So from that journey to, you know, to transitioning. So they naturally would come to you to sort of ask to build that product, right? So that makes sense. Exactly. Because all of our, all the tools that we were developing for them were all based around communication, uh, but they were, you know, tactile communication. Um, and, and so we, then they just wanted to take it a little step further because they had a communication problem that was employee engagement and how um, employees were engaging with one another. So we built a small peer-to-peer platform for them where peers could recognize each other. And that's where it started. Got it. All right. So 2009, you got that first customer, right? So now you essentially built, you you took that product. Now you've got a nice product out there, right? So what happened after that? I know you mentioned networking and all of that stuff. When was that next customer that you ended up losing? That's a really good question. Well, I think first, before we got the first customer, remember it was just me. Mm-hmm. And I realized I needed help on that. And so I brought on, um, I, at that time, he was a going to be our COO. And then we brought in a UX, UI guy. And then we brought on a sales guy. And I gave them equity um, to partake, participate. Through the years, we eventually transitioned to where I took a backseat as the, the um, chief innovation officer. And then our, who was firstly our COO, he became our CEO. So we swapped roles there a bit. Just because I'm more on the creative end and he's more a leader, um, which was a really good transition. Now, in terms of our next customer came actually as a result of, I was on a cruise mm-hmm. and there was a wine tasting on the cruise and um, we were going around the table and people were asking, what do you do? And I said, oh, I have a little employee engagement customer or an employee engagement you know, company. Now, granted at this time, we only had one customer. So at that point then, the guy sitting next to me said, I have a logistics company and I need you. Mm-hmm. And we exchanged numbers and then he became a really good customer, still a customer to this day. So that was our second customer. And then we went into Google Ads. Mm-hmm. So we thought, how do we expand this? And so we started running Google Ads and that's how we got Starbucks and Chick-fil-A. Wait, you got Starbucks from Google Ads? Yes, we did. And we don't have like the big Starbucks, like the corporate uh-huh. Starbucks, is we started out with a couple of independently owned Starbucks um, in Miami, uh-huh. and then once we, once we got had our foot in the door, 
And that company that owned that Starbucks also owned Chick-fil-A and Einstein Brothers Bagel. And they had a few stores in the Miami area. And then we just um, really took that seriously and then, you know, took that forward. Got it. So I want to talk about the conversion funnel as well, right? What happens after, you know, the lead discovers you. But I just want to ask you one question, right? So like it's been almost 12, 13 years and you're saying you've got around 12, obviously very big customers, right? So why is that number so low? Was that strategic or, you know, like because you, you had all of these top of funnel potential channels, right? So why why is that number looking so low for me? Obviously, the revenue is still higher. Just want to understand the backstory there. It's looking so low because this is a very difficult process. Mm-hmm. Like a, probably about um, a, to a magnitude of 100, you know, more difficult than we anticipated. We've, uh, we're kind of on our third sales person, you know, our head of sales right now. The sales cycles are low tough. Um, you know, the employee engagement is they want to have, not a need to have. And so it's really important that customers see their pain points. It's an extra expenditure kind of that they don't see as a necessity so much. Um, it's, it's somewhat of a competitive marketplace right now. So we're competing often against going up against some really big players in the space who, who do things well. I mean, we do everything well too, but, um, so that, I mean, there's just been a confluence of factors. We've tried a lot of things, you know, in this year, we tried a cold outreach program. We invested a lot of money into our big cold outreach system. We had, um, Salesforce high velocity sales plugged in, ready to go. And, um, we had, we hired a firm to come out and do a cold outreach with phone calls and emails. We bought zoom info so that we could get their intelligent, um, data. We did all that and didn't really make any traction with that. So, so why is it so like, I just want to understand it. So you, I mean, you send a bunch of cold emails to the relevant persons, right? Something's got to happen. I know, I mean, it might not be 10%, but you've got to have some, some percentage of them sort of expressing interest, right? So what didn't we work had, out there? Yeah. Well, what happened is, you know, because of our ideal customers, like a higher number of employees, mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, um, a mom and pop place that has 20 employees where they can mm-hmm. make quick decisions. Mm-hmm. What happens is you have large organizations and you're offering enterprise level software and you have to jump through a million hoops in order to close those deals. Yeah. Those deals are significantly harder to close than smaller deals. I'll tell you what, the deals that we did for Starbucks and Chick-fil-A because they were smaller organizations really on the ground in terms of we were doing store by store were easier to close um, than some of these companies that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. It's because these companies operate, they have a lot of, you know, when you operate on the security, on the um, enterprise level, you have a lot of security, you know, hoops that we have to jump through, a lot of vetting that has to happen. And there's just, it's just brutal. Yeah. And, you know, that's probably. So, so Ruben, one question, is it a product thing that you really uh, don't want to sell to, you know, uh, customers of, you know, smaller number of employees? Customers? Or is, is it really a product thing that it, your product only makes sense for companies with a lot of employees? It really, we found that it only makes sense for large organizations who mm-hmm. really can execute a system and a program of this type. And mm-hmm. um, simply, it does work in smaller organizations, but it, it needs synergy. Yeah. Uh, this kind of thing needs synergy and for there are to be a lot of people on board. And so we've been, you know, marginally successful, you know, in smaller organizations, but we found that our churn is much higher in smaller organizations than it is in our larger organizations. Our larger organizations. Those relationships last years. Um, and at some point, you know, we're getting to decades now. Whereas some of the smaller ones, they don't make as much money. The churn is higher. They're more maintenance, more customization for fewer people and for fewer dollars. So, 
So it's really, you know, our sweet spot really is actually is kind of between, you know, 300 employees and 2,500. That's really a sweet spot for us. Yeah. I mean, we're just, we're bringing on an organization of 4,000 here pretty soon, but, you know, which will be a challenge, but yeah. Yeah. So, so talk about the sales cycle, right? So you mentioned it's really, really tough to sort of close those deals, right? So, so how does the sales cycle look like as of today? How much time does it take for that, you know, lead to get converted to a customer, for example? Yeah, good question. Well, usually the sales cycle starts out with some kind of a cold outreach or some kind of inquiry that comes in. And then what we'll do is we'll immediately go into what we call our initial discovery. And that's where we have a conversation with the customer, the potential customer, and find out what are their needs. Because our product is really broad. And it, we can customize it down pretty narrowly. So it's really important that we understand what that is. So once we get an understanding of that, once we have that discovery meeting, then we usually schedule another meeting if, if it's a good fit with, you know, more stakeholders within the organization. And it's at that point that we'll do an entire custom build, like a demo build with their colors, their theme, and then we'll take them through that. Now that usually takes around, you know, sometimes two or three or four uh, different demos that we'll have to do and different people within the organization take a look at the organization after uh, things. Then we'll get to the quoting page. Then we negotiate that. Then we have to get a co- you know a contract in place and then it has to go through a legal process. And then once that you know once that's all been done and everyone signed on the dollar line, then we can begin with our implementation. And approximately so that, how much time does this take on average from that initial test point to okay that's uh, on average it's probably about four to six months. Mm-hmm. got it it's not fast yeah obviously it makes sense. it makes a lot of sense so so i want to understand your deal win rate for example tomorrow if i bring in bring in let's say 100 you know 100 sort of leads to you right how does the deal win rate look like like how many of them actually do you end up converting to a paid customer um i would say like you know we are conversion rate and um, that's a really tough one i'm just trying to think what it was this year. So, so yeah go ahead go ahead yeah okay yeah, I would say that, you know, two out of 10, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so my next question naturally is like, if I pour in more leads in, into that funnel, can you can you still maintain that 20% conversion rate? I, I think we would actually probably improve on that just because as you go, you learn. Mm-hmm. You know, as you have more at bat, you do, you know, you do learn better. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we would, um, I I think, I think so. Yeah, I think. We yeah. Do. So, so if, if that is true, right. My next question obviously is basically you've got a bunch of companies. Obviously, I think you must have that big a network that you can just even handpick these customers, right? So tomorrow you could just pick these 50 odd customers, right? So is the path from 12 customers to let's say 20 or 50, is it, is it an easy one? Is it as simple as saying, okay, let's, let's just pour them into the funnel and we'll end up converting them. Or is it not? Well, I wish we could do that. I wish we could just go out and grab people and put them in the funnel. And what's stopping that? What's, what's, what's really the hurdle there? What's stopping that is, you know, finding that those people to put in the funnel. Once we get them in the funnel, then we're good. But finding, you know, organizations that are number one, open to what you have to prevent. Mm-hmm. I have the budget for it, have the appetite for it. Have also the philosophy behind um, the whole idea of employee engagement and paying money to help workers work harder when you're already paying them money and then giving them like gift cards and things like that and spending that extra money. That's a real hard sell in today's business, especially with the recession. And so finding those people who are like willing to take a meeting and who are like in that space, you know, and also here's another real interesting point. We start often with HR departments. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where a lot of this begins. 
And that's a real hard place to start because they're so busy, they're so overwhelmed, they're slammed, especially this time of year with open enrollment and things like that. You can't even get a meeting. Um, so it's a real challenge. So we've done all kinds of different And this next year, we're doing an affiliate program um, and we're doing an ambassador program. So we're, we're going to invest in um, some new ways and some new things. We're always looking at new things to do. And one of the things we're also thinking about doing is some um, what they call um, user-generated content, where some of our users, we're going to you know, offer them a really significant commission to, you know, put content out there for us. So we've got a couple of creative things up our sleeve that we're going to try because we just haven't, ha we've not had much luck with the cold outreach and we've had good luck with um, Google ads. And so we're going to start, we're going to put on some new money into that this next year. We put all of our money into cold outreach this year and we're, we're, we're stepping away from that. And um, we might keep a little bit on that because that, you know, does pay off marginally, but we have to try other things. So what does your gut say you, right? So which of these investments that you're going to make, right? Which of them are actually going to take you from, let's say, $3 million to $10 million? I don't think it's Google Ads. I'll say that. But I think that it, what's going to take it there is going to be um, some sort of affiliate program where we pay a really high commission. And then we also, um, you know, get some influencers out there who love our product and who promote it with some kind of user-generated content. Uh, that's what I think is going to get us there. Just because I, I, I've noticed that that's really a, a direction people are going. And a lot of people are looking for ways in which to earn money. Mm -hmm. And so why not, you know, put... Uh, uh, the whole point of affiliate marketing makes sense. But the question is, does it apply really to you? Because you are targeting, uh, you know, companies with 300, 500 employees, right? So it, who exactly are you trying to convince here that your product is going to make sense for you through, through your yeah, affiliates? So for, yeah, that's a great question. Well, are you familiar with Cynthia the Candlemaker? Uh, no. They have an amazing affiliate program. And what they, why that makes sense for us is because we are going to associate our, pro, our, our in PowerPoint with the ability for uh, an individual person to, to make it their own business. Sort of like being able to go, okay, I'm now in the business, you know, your mom could now be in the business of employee engagement. She mm -hmm. could build a business on our platform. She could earn an income. She can have a career, you know, not, it's not just an affiliate program. And I said affiliate program, but really what I mean is our ambassador program where you could build your own business within PowerPoint. You can be the representative. You You're talking about white labeling it? Essentially changing the name a of it. A little bit. It's sort of like a little bit of a hybrid in, ter in terms of white labeling it. And yes, they do have that ability to do that. Um, we're really going to focus more on them being part of the PowerPoint family and empowering them to build their own business in that direction. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are looking for non-unconventional ways to make money. And in PowerPoint is such that, you know, we've bootstrapped it the whole way. Mm -hmm. So we don't have any debt and we don't have any DC money. Um, and so it's all that, paid that, for. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and the product is built and it's been, you know, running for the last 10 years. So it's been, it's, it's battle worn. Um, it's not going away. It's not fragile. Mm -hmm. It's not going to break. Um, so we've been through all of that. So now we just have a product that we can sell and because there's high margins on it. We can, you know, leverage that with some kind of an ambassador program. All right. So Ruben, one last question, right? So what's the future here, right? So, I mean, you've bootstrapped it amazingly. You, you've got, you reached up to that 3 million ARR mark, right? So what's going to happen in the next five, 10 years, right? So what's, what's the vision here? 
I do think the vision is, you know, we've had a really good time building the product and we believe in, in PowerPoint and we believe in the mission of the organization as a whole. But I do see an exit for us, probably the team. I mean, we've been doing this a long time and I think the honeymoon is, is over. It's been over for a long time. Um, but I think that our goal is to, uh, you know, we already had three organizations approach us this year for an acquisition because mm-hmm. um, they're looking to, to you know, get move into this space and we're an, we're an established player yeah. and we've turned those down, but we're not going to be turning them down in two or three years. Mm-hmm. So, so what, so again, this is, it's very interesting, right? Why did you turn them? Like, is it, is it the valuation? Um, well, yeah, that's a great question because we really felt like there was still gas enough in our tank mm-hmm. that we could ride this out and make the company more valuable with more customers over a period of time. Whereas we felt like if we sold now, sure, we would get a really good payout, but we didn't feel like it would be what it could be if we put a little more, a couple more years into it and really went hard. So, so were, we really, yeah. So were these, you know, uh, acquirers, were, uh, is, was that, an, uh, was that supposed to be a strategic acquisition? Like they want to take your product and then they're going to do something else with it? Or are um, they just it, looking at you as a simple, you know, uh, high margin business that they could just run and put it on autopilot? No, something? One of them was really looking to accentuate their existing tools because they had, uh, they had a limit, they had, you know, a, a basic system and ours was mature. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking to add a lot of features. Like some of the things that we do is we're integrated with Ticketmaster, Best Buy, you know, Travelocity and stuff like that. So we have all these other things that are integrated in our system that just came over years through maturity. And it was a newer company. So they were looking at a way to expand and add features quickly. Another organization had a lot of, had huge success with an aspect of our, our our um our system that made them money mm-hmm. and so they were not even in their space and they wanted to leverage that they wanted to own our organization because they felt like well they had another thing going on they were getting some big national customers and they knew that our our tool um really made them money significantly and so they mm-hmm. wanted to acquire that because they wanted to make sure that the tool was always going to be in place and they wouldn't lose Mm-hmm. when they expanded into other customers. So there were weird reasons why, uh, you know. So, makes sense, makes sense. So in a couple of years, right, is, is it going to be that, you know, what, what's the North Star here? So what are you aiming? Is it that growth rate or is it, you know, increasing the number of customers and revenue? So what exactly are you looking at? It's increasing that revenue because that's going to give us the biggest payout. And we really feel like with where we are now and how we've grown in the last couple of years and the different things that we, what we're looking for really is we're looking for something that where we can scale in terms of, you know, grow. Mm-hmm. And we really haven't found that yet. I mean, Google ads have been okay. Facebook ads, total fail. Content on LinkedIn, not so much. I mean, we've tried. I mean, you know, it's cold outreach, not so good. We're going to try a few other things because if we find something that we can really scale growth, if we find something that we know is just like an automatic machine yeah. that if we can put things in and get stuff out and we can guarantee and we can do those numbers, then we can scale in such a fashion that in two years time, you know, we're worth three or four times what we are now. That's the goal. And we feel like it's out there and we haven't found it yet. Got it. All right, Ruben, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Hope you're scaling PowerPoints. Much, much greater heights. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great talking to you.